0: Episode 11. They say the darkest hour is right before the dawn. I agreed with Uncle Paul. Christmas was a waste of time. Although this Christmas, I made a wish and it came true. Dice disappeared. Thank you, Santa. Mum's green eyes crossed my mind. The anger at her betrayal had waned some. Betrayal felt like the wrong word now. Maybe she was trying to protect me all along. Isn't that what mothers do? I thought maybe I should call her or at least send a card with something other than my whereabouts on it, but that was enough dwelling. I needed another distraction that wasn't vice-related. I'd made the kids book for Archie and something for Angela too. I'd also watched Magnolia at least 10 times by now. At three hours and 15, it was a satisfying scratch to kill itchy time. The storm of frogs at the end reminded me of the aliens in Slaughterhouse Five, something about the lunacy making it all the more real, perfect sense in a world of illogic. Another effective distraction was running. It had started as necessity when I'd gone out one night to get away from dice and was freezing my balls off. Just to keep warm I ran, ending up all the way over at the Thames to hear the boats go by. Back in school I'd never had the patience for long distance. I was a dasher and a jumper in need of immediate results. I'd never had the patience for anything come to think of it. I was teased and nicknamed Mars Man for a while because of the way I ate a chocolate bar at lunch once, stuffing it in like it was trying to escape. Stodgy gack on caramel gums, childishly snuffling for breath. The hard-earned satisfaction of a lengthy jog was a welcome discovery. On Christmas Day, I borrowed Dice's sheepskin jacket, thought London would be easier to appreciate while everyone else was indoors. I wanted to see it from a different perspective. I wanted to look up. Past the Imperial War Museum, the cannons saluted me on my canter, the brisk wind making my nose run and my lungs like ice packs in a frozen hamster cage. Turning right across Westminster Bridge, the landscape took my breath away. As I looped around St James's Park and up the Mall for more sightseeing, Trafalgar Square, Covent Garden, Fleet Street, skipping uninterrupted across a real-life Monopoly board. I thought about me and Jess running away from the Butcher's Dogs through the lanes of Cornwall as children. Having left no breadcrumbs, I got Canary Wharf in my horizon, knowing it was somewhere in the vicinity of SE8. I could always see it across the river from my bedroom window, the elite beacon on the top of the pyramid winking at me as I dreamed. I thought about Glastonbury and how I'd do things differently next time. Turning onto Cromwell's estate, I picked up the pace for the home stretch, imagining I was racing my longtime rival for the final time before retirement. A 50-50 chance of legendary status committed to the history books or a sad second place, left in the shadow of his victorious competitor. I was winning, but I never got to finish the fantasy. It broke as Daubeny Tower lurched into view. It wasn't a home in the classic sense, not like Angela's. On Boxing Day, I forgot my manners, blazing on Angela's sofa as if it were my own. Cozy terracotta walls and natural wood frames. Pictures of her and Archie, art inspired by her travels in India. Archie came in and pounced on me, demanded we play Neddy the Blossy, where I bounce him on my knee singing the William Tell Overture. It was something my dad did with me as a kid. I remembered it being the most fun a four-year-old could have. We ate Bubble and Squeak and Angela poured me a glass of red wine. I apologised and said I didn't drink red wine, wasn't drinking at all actually. She said she wished she had my control, judging herself as the glass kissed her lips. It seemed unfair to be making her feel guilty behind what felt like bullshit. Go on then, I said, raising my drink. I sipped at it gingerly, portraying the control she believed I had. Hello. What's going on in here then? I gave them their presents. For Angela I'd made a CD of me singing Town With No Cheer. The book I made for Archie was called Percy Woodstump about a tree that wants to keep its leaves so the birds have somewhere warm for winter. Who's that fella in the pictures over there on the mantelpiece? Is that Angela's ex? Graham, is it? He's a good-looking chap. When Archie went to bed, we sat on the sofa, shared a patchwork over our knees, a Christmas carol on the telly. Scrooge was looking at his own headstone. Angela wanted to ask me a favour. She spoke softly, almost nervously. I turned away from the ghost of Christmas future, gave her my full attention. Archie had a doctor's appointment. She wanted someone to go with her. Is everything all right? I asked. She said it was probably nothing. I could say no. There was no pressure. It was for Archie as much as anything. He really loved me. She looked embarrassed, so I reassured her. What, be supportive for a couple of legends like you? Of course I'll do it. Mmm, nice taste that wine. Make sure you get the name. Be nice to drink it properly sometime. She hugged me, called me a sweetheart, kissed me straight to the lips. We hid our grins as our eyes locked and then fell to kiss again when Archie came in, asking for his mum to come and help him get to sleep. Archie! What a pleasant surprise! Are you fucking kidding me, William? A four-year-old kid? Your life's only just begun. She apologised but said I was welcome to stay on the sofa if I wanted. Now that they've gone, you might as well neck that wine. I downed the wine against my well and fell fast asleep on the sofa. The next morning, we lazed around for as long as Archie would let us watched movies, had a Tom Waits off. When Angela went and got bacon for the pigs in blankets, I pushed Archie on his new bike and spent the rest of the day getting swept up in whatever his colourful little world was pursuing, occasionally flirting with Angela in the few moments he wasn't demanding our attention. Eventually, albeit knackered, me and Angela got some time alone. We held hands on the sofa and watched the life of Brian till we both crashed out. The editor will cut this stuff. I only had to go home the next evening because I didn't have any spare clothes and was starting to smell like a student. Archie's hospital appointment was tomorrow. I wanted to at least appear to be a grown-up. When we said goodbye, Angela apologised again, said she felt guilty that she was falling for me, that I had my whole life ahead of me and I shouldn't be spending so much time with someone as old as her. Well, she's very perceptive. I'll give her that. I scooped her up and kissed her on the neck, reminding her she was being ridiculous. What a babe she was, telling her I wasn't a kid, I could do what I wanted. I took a detour run on cloud nine and got into the flat really late, tripping over a pile of mail I hadn't seen as I entered. The mail was never mine anymore, only mum knew where I was and she'd stopped writing ages ago. The shameful pile of unopened letters still festered under my bed. On the top of the mail this time was a jiffy bag addressed to William the Conqueror. The return sticker had the Atlantic Records stamp on it, Duncan's name. This is it! I hurried to the living area, the best Christmas ever. I picked frantically at the glue and ripped open the envelope, reached inside with jittery fingers, assuming it was essentially a lottery ticket waiting to be cashed in. I pulled out the demos we'd left with Duncan, all three CDs, and a note written in biro on label-headed paper. Thank you for the music, and while I think you have some talent, it's not sufficiently exciting enough for us at this juncture. Hmm. I flipped the note over, thinking there must be more. Shook the envelope like a kid looking for a fiver in a birthday card. There was nothing but disappointment. Silly you. It was then I noticed that Dice had been home. His leather jacket was dead over the armrest. Half a dozen boxes of B&H on the coffee crate, fresh off the boat. Bullion. Deflated at the rejection, I pinched a cigarette. Knock, knock. Open the door, Richard. Dice suddenly burst in, exhausted, like he'd just run 24 stories. He looked skinny as a twig, his voice husky like he'd been yelling for a day straight. He was the last person I wanted to see. (sighs) Forgot my facts, he panted, eyeballing me for my sig-pinching liberties. Then he spotted the demos and the jiffy bag, gasping for breath. I showed him the rejection note from Duncan. His grey eyeballs rocked side to side as he read it about to go into Hulk mode. What did I say? He scrunched the note in his twiglet fist, threw it down, grabbed the full ashtray and launched it at the telly. Fag ash and filters like dirty confetti and the screen smashed in on itself. Fucking Nazis! He grabbed his fags and bolted gangly from the flat. I tried to ignore everything that had just happened, tried to stay as buoyant as I'd been just hours ago. But my ticket out of the shithole was up in flames and I was living with a madman who was only getting madder. I chain smoked out of my bedroom window, fuming at the universe's cruel roller coaster. I wanted to get Angela back on my mind. She needed me at my best for Archie in the hospital tomorrow. Canary Wharf winked at me from a frosty London. Mum's letters festered under my bed. I bet she didn't miss me. I'd never been sufficiently exciting enough. All great stories start with disappointment. You're going to let a stranger decide your destiny? No. All he's done is get his name in the narrative. Duncan, the man who missed the boat. I'm done with this shit now. The countdown begins. Five. I overslept and had to sprint the last mile to the health center. Angela was waiting patiently at the entrance. She had a cute grin when she got nervous. It could make you think she found something amusing. That wasn't the case this time. I gave her a kiss, but she recoiled, a little disappointed. I didn't know you smoked. Chewing gum won't hide who you really are. No one spoke in the waiting room and there was no time signature to the hacking that sprinkled the hum of strip lights. There were posters about how to diagnose yourself and information on common colds pinned to corkboards on stock canary walls. I thought about my dad's study and the stacks of old medical books that as a kid I'd pretend to read as if they were in a magic library like The never-ending Story. I tipped a tub of talcum powder over one of them once It was a great big book about genetics. I was pretending it was an ancient relic that when I pulled it from the shelf, I had to blow the dust off. Dad wasn't best pleased to say the least, but he found me under my bed later, apologised for shouting and said he wished his mind was as free as mine. I must have only been six or seven. I didn't know what he meant. Angela was jiggling her knees, checking her watch. I took her hand in mine and squeezed it wishing I hadn't had the fag that kept me from kissing her. Archie was playing with the toys in the corner, cross-legged on the carpet with a plastic steering wheel in front of him. He was only using his left hand, his right resting limply on his legs. I'd noticed him on Boxing Day doing a similar thing with his toys and assumed he was practicing for his dream job of exerting as little effort as possible. Angela saw it differently. She'd also noticed that his right shoe was more worn out on the front than his left as if he'd been dragging it while he walked. That was why she called the doctor. That was why the doctor had recommended she bring him in to see someone. They called us through. Archie bounced ahead. Now I could see what Angela was talking about. His right leg was in slow motion compared to his left. Dr. Carlson was soft and straight, talked Angela through the process. It was very simple. They just wanted to examine Archie's motor skills get him to walk the room, read from an eye chart, draw a circle with each hand, clap and hop etc. Angela had a million anxious questions. I figured it best I'd be the optimistic one and told her that everything was fine, maybe he just had an infection. I told her that I'd cut my knee in the lanes as a kid and the infection spread to the veins, protruding and bright red, making me limp like Archie. Dad had diagnosed it immediately and knew what to prescribe. The infection went away in a couple of days. Was it superficial thrombophlebitis? Dr. Carlson was pretty poker-faced, but the grey eyes over the glasses said she didn't agree with me. Was your dad a doctor? asked Archie, cack-handedly hammering a peg into a hole. Sure was, mate. Dr. Carlson pulled her office chair over to Angela, who focused every atom of her attention on the information being delivered. I was trying to listen in, but I had Archie on my knee, trying to get me to play Neddy the Blossie. The doctor was deflecting Angela's questions like a politician on loop. At this stage, all we know is that we want to see him again so we can eliminate certain things. We nodded. Are you the father? Dr. Carlson asked. I laughed to answer, but Angela got there first. He's just a friend. Ooh, that sting a little. Outside, the heavens opened. Ice-cold sideways rain on film noir streets. We sheltered under the awning of a newsagent the headlines trying to sell the millennium like it was game over for humanity. I could see that Angela was worried, and I wanted to be able to help. I wasn't bothered that she said we were just friends. What? Was she supposed to give a detailed history of our relationship? Call me boyfriend? Partner? Still, just saying. She didn't need me overthinking everything. I respected her judgement. It wasn't unreasonable to want a better title than friend. Angela thanked me for coming along again. Said Archie really loved me. You hear that? Archie! Do you want me to come and help out? Be with you guys? I offered, praying for my own selfish reasons as much as anything. She said it might be best if I don't come by for a bit. She'd told Archie's dad about the doctors and he was arriving tomorrow. He didn't know anyone else in London so he'd be staying with her. Good looking guy that, Graham. I deflated on the inside. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It's his dad, isn't it? She said there was nothing going on between them but she had to let him see his boy. You believe her? Will you be in touch though? Will you let me know how it goes? She said of course she will. When is Graham leaving? She still want to hook up on New Year? When is Graham leaving? Do you still want to hook up on New Year? She said she didn't know was the honest answer. She was really sorry but had to put Archie first right now. And Graham a close second? Archie was hopping in the puddles. Angela put her hand on me. Asked if I was okay. Asked if I had enough money for the bus. She could lend me some if not. Pocket money? I couldn't bear the idea of borrowing from her. Even if it was only a quid. Suit yourself? It looks like the rain is easing off. I'll be fine. You get Archie home. Focus on him. Everything will be fine. Everything is fine. I kissed her cheek to spare her the stale breath and hoisted Archie up for a cuddle, feeling like the universe had swallowed me whole. Wishing for this ugly phase to pass, I waved them off and started sprinting between shop fronts, trying to tell myself there was nothing wrong. Angela needed some space. Graham was going to go back to Birmingham soon enough. Normality would resume. I just didn't know when. Normality? The rain didn't let up for the whole way home. If frogs had started falling, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. 4. Fidget, fidget, fuck it's cold in here. Stick the hobs on or something. Hey, you remember going to Ruapehu with school? That was fucking cold. Seb snuck a pawn into the dorms. Some pretty aggressive gangbanging if I remember rightly. Terrifying. Still I bet the distortion in the long johns of every kid was dirtier than a fuzz box that night fidget fidget. Gotta do something with those hands, I suppose, eh, Mars man? I'd phoned a few places about work, but got the same thing from all of them. Call back in the new year. I would, but until then I was like that De La Sol record. It's just you, yourself and me. Where's Dice at? He'll have the goods. There was nothing in the way of nourishment in the cupboards. Some stuffing mix, dried lasagna, cans of super tenants. I was tempted, even though I knew the taste was rotten. Oh, imagine sinking them right now. I didn't hear the key in the door. Dice came straight into the kitchen, didn't pass go, and went directly to the cupboard of pans, pulled out a dented wok, slamming it on the hobs that were already on. He stopped what he was doing and spun in a pirouette of paranoia till he spied me down on my knees where I'd been rummaging in the larder. Billy whiz, heat costs money, you know, he said, turning off three of the four hobs. Then he smiled his cat's cunning. Glad you're here though, need to talk. I can't keep you afloat anymore, mate. Hear him out. I thought you said it was cool for now. It was, now it isn't. Shit happens, he snapped. Nah, fuck that. Holiday's over. You need to start paying me back now. I had nothing to come back with. Nowhere to turn. Here, you can start by helping me with this. He pulled a handful of medicine bottles from his jacket. Liquid ketamine. You said it yourself. Medicine. He was going to cook it all up into powder, then stomp on it with baking soda and sell it in Soho for the millennium. Enterprise. As it bubbled away and we counted out the baggies, I was thinking of Hamish and the bombs we used to make, the respect he had for the chemistry. This was very different. 30 baggies later, and about half the powder was still in the pan, circled by a crusty yellow skin. Dice scooped up a chunk on his finger and raised it at me. Might as well hang on to this. You want some? His fingernail was dirty. I shook my head and he laughed, scraped the powder from his finger on the edge of the pan. Time and a place for that one. A siren chased the streets around the high-rises outside. Dice slowed to a whisper, a smile like the Joker. This is the real shit. He slid his fingers into his jeans and pulled out another baggie. He wanna try something spectacular. It looked like old sherbet, but it was heroin. That's Latin for heroes. I thought of Brad Pitt in True Romance, nonchalant with the dope wars going on around him. I thought of Vincent Vega in Pulp Fiction, coolly shooting up in his Cadillac on the way to a date with the boss's wife. But then I thought about train spotting and the dead baby. Basketball diaries and the cock-sucking gym teacher. Christian F and, well, Christian F. I heard the needle and the damage done. No thanks, man. I'm good. I gave thanks to the art that shielded me from my own stupidity. As usual, there's work to be done. But it'll be worth the wait when you finally get there. Heaven in a single cell. Dice didn't care about my answer. He was transfixed on his paraphernalia thinking on the ritual ahead. Foil, lighter and empty biro as he moved to the chair by the window. Out of curiosity I watched him get smacked from the kitchen. It wasn't like the movies. He didn't look like he was having an orgasm at all. Nothing romantic about it. Yeah, you shouldn't buy into everything you see in the movies. It brought out his blemishes, dark scarlet pimples and puppet string jaw. Yeah, you shouldn't buy into everything you see in reality. I wanted news from Angela. I wanted to know what was happening with Archie and with Graham. The phone had been all too silent. Three. Dice's tin can van chugged the streets of Soho as we munched McDonald's, the cost of which had been added to my tab. He was enraged at the stop-starting he was having to navigate, London dressed to the hilt for what lay ahead at the stroke of midnight. I was in the front, unwashed and ragged in smoky threads long out of date with whatever society deemed fashionable. He looked even worse. What a couple of grungers. I'd still had no word from Angela. Graham had probably had an epiphany by now. Woken to his missteps and apologized profusely to her. Begged her to take him back. She must have seen the light too. The back of the van was loaded with hot goods, nicked speakers and hi-fis mostly. The right thing is that Archie has his father back in his life. You, You can empathize with that, can't you? He's probably got him on his shoulders right now, making up for lost time. I bet whatever's up with Archie is serious hospital shit and there's nothing like trauma to bring about change in a person mum and dad back together. No one wants to interfere with that. A distant siren. Dice fidgeted with the mirrors and undid my seatbelt. Get in the back. Make sure the boot's locked and hide this. He threw the bag of ketamine on my lap. Go on then, get back there. There was no easy way through the hi-fi mountain in the back. I slithered into the space between the boxes and the roof wriggled along like Andy Dufresne, tunneling through the Shawshank shit pipe. I mean, Angela must have loved Graham once. They had a baby for fuck's sake. Must have had chemistry. Wasn't he a photographer or something? Didn't they meet in India? Sounds like an interesting guy. He's probably got a job too. There must have been a break in the crowds. Dice hit the gas and we jolted forwards. I slid along the tops of the speakers and crashed into the gap at the back by the doors, yelling as I lost my shoe and cracked my head on the handle. That was definitely Graham in the pictures. You're so naive. You told yourself the photos were there for Archie's benefit. Yeah, right. I'll tell you what they're there for. They're an ember. There to keep the flame alive. They just have to blow a little. Wink wink. I couldn't see a thing. Trapped like a spaniel in the boot, pouring blindly for my missing shoe. More sirens hooted, but I had no idea where they were coming from. Fucking hell. Graham probably stayed on the sofa the first night. You know, I bet, I bet Angela used Archie as an excuse to get him back into her bed. Probably said it would be weird for Archie to come in and find his dad on the sofa or something. Here, yeah, best jump in with her. Suddenly, the van hit a curb and threw me upwards. The back end swayed as speakers slid to bury me. Dice cursed, swerved the van right, bouncing down off the pavement we must have twatted. Didn't Angela say they never planned to have kids? Do you reckon it was a split condom or thoughtless passion? They were students at the time, right? Young and free, only themselves to think about, experimenting, figuring each other out with their lips and fingers carefree fucking after hours of carefree partying. That could be you. You could have that. Not with Angela though. She's been there. Who knows how many times. Another siren. This time too close for comfort. I heard Dice yell. Felt the vehicle accelerate. We didn't get far. The van suddenly smashing into something outside that threw me into the merchandise. The van halted. The front door flung open and I heard Dice bolt up the street. Plod in pursuit. The chase was on out there. The officers barking into their walkie-talkies as they raced past the van. I wrestled myself from the carnage in the back and unlocked the boot. Fell into the streets, a million eyes upon me. I didn't give them my time, just pulled my missing shoe on and aimed for anywhere, fast as I could. Perhaps you should reconsider Jess, you know. Perhaps take inspiration from Angela and Graham and rekindle that thing. Perhaps this, you, here, sprinting in and out of strangers through the streets of an unforgiving London. Maybe this is your trauma. Deliverance from disillusionment time to change directions dude you know which way i'm thinking angela doesn't need a fuck up like you you want to do what's best for her leave her alone if i could find a landmark i could get myself home no matter how ridiculous the route i wished i was a crow angela's probably out there right now having a well-deserved orgasm I took the lift and waved my fob at the door, hurried feet squeaking down the borstal corridor. I slammed myself inside, ready to drop. In the kitchen, I threw back pints and pints of water, but I couldn't drink it fast enough. Mars man on the loose. On the hob, the wok of yellow ketamine winked at me. Hello. Wheezing into the living area, I tried to slow everything down so I could figure out what the fuck I should do. I thought about packing my things. What things? Where are you going? I stared at the silent phone. Nothing but a paperweight with no hope on the line. Angela hadn't called. I couldn't call her. She didn't need my drama on her plate. She was busy scratching eternity into Graham's back with her nails. Doesn't bear thinking about. Forget her, man. That's not you. She was probably having a well-deserved orgasm right now. Amen. I wanted to hear someone's voice. Just wanted to know that there was a world outside my own. I thought of calling mum. What's she going to do? She's at the other end of the world, getting stuffed by the elf. I thought about Jess and whether any amount of contrition could rewind the clocks. It's worth a shot. Oh, hang on. There's some cans in the cupboard. Get them down you before you call. Steady your nerves. The wok of drugs winked at me again as I snatched the super tenants from the kitchen. I necked one, but it wasn't enough to numb reality. Who was I kidding? Well, that's all other options exhausted. Do it. I stood over the delicious pan of poison. Horse tranquilizer, actually. One. I sank my nose into the brown dust and snorted. It stung, but I deserved the pain. I thought of nothing except the Nirvana I owed myself and the speed at which I could get there. In minutes, I'd be high as the tomb tower I had no choice but to call home, wading through utopian treacle, my brain a wad of dough to be kneaded. Elastic legs gave way to dead weight as I stumbled into the living room, straight from the Ministry of Silly Walks. Sank into the chair by the window, accepting my loneliness with a gormless junk smile on my face. I don't know what I thought about for that hour. No Dice, no Jess, no Angela, not even myself. It was heavenly. Praise be, but it didn't last. Bad chemistry, Dice ain't no Hamish. I was coming down faster than I wanted. Reality nudging for my attention, disturbing my escape. Another line would take that away. Go on then. That's when I noticed the phone line, extracted and loose from the wall. Dice must have pulled the cord so no one could break his stupor. Wise. The outside world is bothersome to say the least. Leave it. I gathered and followed the wire to the end, curiously steering my boggy vision to marry up the socket. As I did it, the phone was ringing. Leave it. William? William? I hung my head like I'd won a marathon and been committed to the history books. Angela Full Circle January the 1st, 2000 London, SE8 You've caught me at a good time, for sure. Eyeing up a leap of faith of all things. The fireworks were amazing. And off he goes. Riding a bike in the strongest winds, perhaps? Come on, what the fuck? Sunset? Into the sunset? That's how you want it to end? That's stupid. You're stupid. You're like fucking Baldrick or something. Actually, no, not Baldrick. He never had hopes. You did. You just fucked them off. Swapped them for the glasses with the rosiest tints. Who are you looking at through those glasses, William? Who do you see? All I see is a cunt who can't open a tin of beans without writing a song about it. A gump that thinks analysis is next to godliness. Thinks he can change. Thinks he has a choice. Turns out I do have a choice. To live and not to tell. And not to listen. Where'd you get that from then? Fucking, you know, fucking, you get that from a book or something. We can all do that. And anyway, you can't not listen to yourself. At best, you can have a day off, all the while I'm nosing around in your cerebellum, doing press-ups while I wait for the grudge match, getting stronger every time. I'm embarrassed to have given you so much credit all these years. Not a single achievement you can stand by. Not a single instance of you seeing something through. We can change that, Bill. We can do something drastic. You know, really drastic. Not kicking a log or shooting a possum. I mean crash and burn. Two fingers to a world that won't accommodate. A white and purple splat on the pavement. A remorseless pile of entrails with a twist of ginger. 24 stories to fall and none to tell. You're confusing stories with stories? I suppose that's like that Lionel Hutz thing. The truth and the truth. Stay alone. It's all you know. Have you ever been there for anyone? Really been there for someone? Let's look at your friends, shall we? See whether or not anyone could ever rely on you. This won't take long. Jess, well, she hates you. She's invented a new kind of hatred just for you, in fact. Then there's Dice, God love him, probably in a cell somewhere, getting decked by a sock full of snooker balls like Davis. That wasn't Davis. Davis was the poor lad in the greenhouse that couldn't take it anymore. Richard's got the sock, courtesy of Carly, the daddy. Speaking of daddy, let's have a look at your family situation, shall we? If we're painting a picture of loneliness. Mum, well, she couldn't wait to get rid of you. Guess that only leaves one person. Your dad. Hot chili peppers in the blistering sun. Don't forget how little you were there for him. If only his idiot son could have put two and two together. Why didn't you grab him by the scruff in your Oscar moment? Fucking shameful. Absolutely shameful. Dust on my face and my cape. He was dying, William. Across the drive from you having a wet dream about your best friend. That goes beyond misgivings. That's fucked up, dude. Remember the inconvenience? The resent at being woken by the drama. Your mum's cries. Now remember how you just stood there while she dragged her husband's gassed up body to the gravel. His long limbs. His blue lips. The ambulance like an open fridge awaiting leftovers. Tell yourself it was shock, but you could have done something heroic and you blew it. You don't get to choose again. Me and Magdalena on the run. You can never tell anyone about that, William. There's no excuse short enough for someone to understand. The world has no time for nuance. It was your fault, full stop. And only you and me can know it. I think this time we shall escape. That's why no one will ever love you. How could they? They won't know who they're loving. Fuck, I'm good at this, aren't I? Laying out the truth for you in simple terms. I should have been a lawyer. I've got insight. Your only friend here to catch you when you fall and believe you when you falter. Selfish, jealous, bitter, with a devilish talent for deception. You gave, but now you only know to take. Indeed, a friend no more. Deception? Pointing out that you can't see into their future is just fact. Yeah, but that's faith, isn't it? Belief in a truth without proof that it's right? Maybe I need faith in something real is all. And to give up the chase. What chase? Whichever one I want. I, me, you, us. Which is which? Getting pretty hard to tell. I can tell. Anyway, shut the fuck up. I need sleep. I promised I'd show my best side to the world. What, the world that's waiting to hit you in the face with a shit sandwich in the morning? Good luck. Good night. Don't be thinking you can dream your way through this. Man the barracks for some raging nightmares, boy. The fever's coming. And if my thought dreams could be seen. I'll see you in there, of course. They'd probably put my head in a guillotine. Always. But it's all right, Ma. It's life and life only. somewhere between takeoff and landing. I'm late, running down the streets of a seaside town. It's sunny at the moment, but it can turn on a dime. Stag and hen parties are out in force as usual, lining the pavements with their wigs and wallets. Sorry. That sounds negative. It wasn't meant that way. I don't know their stories. There are six billion centers of the universe. I'm working in a pub of all places. I went back to nursing for a while, but society pays me more to make people feel ill. The landlord is an angel. The world is full of them. They appear when you least expect and take you as you are. He plays in a jazz band and wants me to learn double bass. Maybe I will. How hard can it be? I wrote a song yesterday called What Price Happiness. I can't decide if it should be major or minor though. I should do one of each and a third that has bits of both. There's no rush. Bump kicked my hand in the cinema. The scan said 82% chance it's a girl. It's a love-hate thing with hospitals though. We get as many yins as yans at the moment. Prayers help. And the kids' resilience is inspiration enough to stay buoyant. It's better for us to reflect them rather than the other way round. I actually quite like my skinhead. I dodge familiar traffic towards the pub. Grin and greet my boss, who croons my name from the doorway as standard. Sinatra, if I'm not mistaken. It's so smoky in here. I've definitely put on weight since giving up. Bump loves Thai food. We're saving to go to Indonesia when she's born. I can't wait. Mum sent us a music box that plays Chopin when you open the bottom drawer. She doesn't like the name Poppy, but that's okay. I didn't like the book she gave me. A girl with Down syndrome is eating crisps at the bar. She wants an apple juice and hands me a tenner. She necks it in one and never forgets to use her manners. I haven't seen her in here before. Bill Withers hollers from the jukebox. Sweet Winomi resting in his arms. Preach it, Bill. To think I missed out on you because of lovely day. I was wrong about that, but only slightly. Dad called again and I made the usual excuses, there's still some things I need to iron out. I think I'm trying as best I can, I'm just not the best. He gives me that though, spiritual allowance or something, I don't give him credit for his actions in the way I should, good golly how I wish I could. He has a prayer for every occasion, still looking for the cure. The sun is falling behind three star hotels. It hits the stained glass window just right for this time. Red lights up, house lights down. A man in a blue raincoat orders a martini. My eyes are open. I only need to think of this.